You keep the damn dog. Leave us the actual fuck alone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we are oh, not morning Jesus. people. Hello, welcome to Tencent Takes, the show where we slide into our supersuits one issue at a time. My name is Mike Thompson, and I am joined by my co-host, the lithe lycra lady herself, Jessica Frazier. Man, I should wear more lycra. I don't know. It just feels I get hot really easily. I get toasty really easily. I just like I can't regulate my body temperature like that. Like I'm impressed by people who can just be in stuff like that for long periods of time and like doing active things like superheroing even. I don't know. That just it seems like a lot of effort and a lot of like your body not breathing. I I don't know. Yeah, it's uh... (laughs) a. That's where I'm at. (laughs) It seems uncomfortable. (laughs) It does. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad I'm wearing something that's wicking. Nice. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Well, if you are new to the show, our main episodes drop every other week and provide in-depth looks at interesting moments in comic books and how they are tied into pop culture and history. But today is one of our Dollar Bin Discoveries mini episodes that we do in between those deep dives. We spend a lot of time rooting through dollar bins at local shops looking for interesting stuff and... While a lot of the issues that we find are fun and weird, they may not be enough for us to do a full deep dive on, but that's only for the moment. We reserve the right to change our mind later and come back. Each episode features both of us talking about one random issue that we came across in the dollar bins and focusing on what it is, what goes on inside it, and why it's interesting. These are mini episodes that are meant to provide you with some weekly content between our more in-depth discussions about the weirder and more interesting moments of comic book history. And as we are doing themes, tonight's theme for our Dollar Bin Discovery is sexy spandex. Take that as you will. So, Jessica, what did you bring to the table tonight? Well, I found this, I want to start off saying I found this recently at the Bat Cave in Santa Rosa when you and I were hanging out. Oh, and that was great. Well, Sarah was there too. Yeah, that was fun. And it's a direct market issue, so that's pretty fun. It had the business reply mail marketing intact and everything. Oh, weird. Yeah, it was cool. So it's the Uncanny X-Men Volume 1, number 320. It's Legion Quest number one of four. I know that's a mouthful, but it is also, and also titled, The Sun Rises in the East. I don't... This sounds familiar. I don't know. It's from January of 1995. (laughs) I'm sure it sounds familiar. Yeah, like this was right around the time that I had stopped reading (laughs) X-Men comics and stuff like that. But Legion Quest, I think, was like involved with uh, Professor X's son who has like dissociative dissociative identity disorder. There it is. Oh, we will get into it. Love it. I wrote a chunk of things about this. Just you wait, Henry Higgins. So, (laughs) plot by Scott Lobdell. Dialogue by Mark Wade. Here he is. Penciled by Roger Cruz. Inked by Tom Townsend. Colors by Steve Bucciato. Lettered by Bill Oakley. Edited by Bob Harris. Editor-in-chief. Our guy, Tommy DeFalco, of course. 
I think this is the first time so, we've had Mark f- Wade show up on the show. Yeah, actually, like you the- and I talk about him quite frequently, like off, you know, off mic. You're right. This is, I think yeah. this is the first time we've talked about him here. That's pretty funny and kind of weird. Like, hey, Mark Wade. Hey, Mark <laughs> Do Wade. Do your ears burn ever? That's us. <laughs> We're talking about you again. But this time it's on record. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, goodness. So, Listen, listen, the first thing I need to establish about this comic, very important, even before the plot, is that this is very 90s. Like, I know you're thinking, Jessica, it's from 1995. It's smack dab in the middle of the 90s. Of course, it's going to feel that way. But I need you to know that it goes beyond that. It is so incredibly 90s like rob liefeld himself could have been involved it goes in that direction just how many pouches slightly just so many muscles well okay yeah but like we got muscles but i'm talking about like if we want to if we want to factor in liefeld we got to factor in pouches as well as we established when we were discussing things with fabian nisiesa you're right. You're right. You know what? I will go back and I will look for pouches and I will do a double check and I'll get back <laughs> to all of you. But anyway, it just felt it just felt very 90s. N- now that I've set the scene, here's the haps. We start off with the X-Men. They're fighting a foe in the Israeli high desert. She's starting off strong with Storm at the forefront. The foe is, as you mentioned, Legion or David Haller. They have been called to de-escalate the situation that has arisen with him. See, he has what is described as acute schizophrenia. But I believe that they are confusing that with what is now called dissociative identity disorder. It's a little embarrassing for them. Yeah, like we talked about that in the Crazy Man episode. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little it's a little rough. It's just very misinformed. See, because they have the whole different personalities or alters that exist to form more of a like personality system rather than one continuous persona. I am not an expert, but from my understanding, this is caused by childhood trauma or trauma in general. So any hoodle. The idea is that each of David's personalities has its own super ability that was different from all of the other super abilities that he had and that they had all been able to reconcile or combine into one personality again. And once he was able to control that, he was able to basically be a God. And he was giving the X-Men a holy smackdown (laughs) as it were. He's come into play a couple of times, like as a villain throughout the history. I remember, there was one in the early 90s called the Muir Island Saga, which I think mm. ended with him dying. There was another crossover where he showed up as like a supporting character, I think, for the New Mutants. I don't like it's always been real problematic. And then there was another one where like they revealed that actually he had like 80 something personalities or 100 something personalities. That was around 2010. Fucking it- hell. It gets weird. It's uh like I've always felt real off about that character. I know that FX had a show recently called Legion that was supposed to be wonderful. Like it's supposed to be really cool and weird. Mm. But I mean, I know that the X-Men are kind of like a 
a mascot for marginalized people in general, but they aren't always the best at representation of, you know, <laughs> people with disadvantages. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that. So the X-Men were then able to run a misdirection play and they think they have him under control until he uses his powers to take himself back in time to try to recreate Charles Xavier's vision. Okay. And Psylocke psychically links everyone and they all go back in time like holding hands like wee <laughs> to the next issue, apparently. That's it. That's it. Like, I mean, it was fine. Like, as far as comics go, like, outside of the obvious, like, the obvious mental health issues that are there, um, like, it's, like, it's fine. It's mm -hmm. a comic. It's like, you know, you know, it's blah, blah, blah. It's fine. Whatever. I'm not going to, like, seek it out. I'm not going to break my back to find the remaining issues surrounding it. Like, it was a fine read. And it was, like, appropriate for the yeah. 90s. Like, I get it. And also the spandex thing. Uh, I mean... So, <laughs> let's say that Storm... I mean, it's the X-Men. First of all, it's the X-Men. I really didn't it's probably need to say It's the X-Men in anything, the 90s. But... That's all you got to say. <laughs> because Storm is tearing up the cover in the usual tight-costumed way. And Psylocke you know especially in the 90s was wearing what amounted to ribbons on oh, her man. body <laughs> we're gonna have to talk about that at some point and how she was just that <sighs> she was that asian fetishization thing that was going on in like the early 90s late 80s where she was like a ninja but it was weird because she was like right. british and then and then they were she like she was well, a whitewashed like yeah and then they did a whole thing where it's like, oh, no, she had her mind swapped with, like, a Japanese assassin. And that's why they're – it's like, whatever, man. Like, this yeah, is – Yeah, no, I'll tell you why. Oh. It was to make her fucking palatable in this country, which is so gross. Yeah. So fucking it, gross. I it, hate it. Thanks, I hate it. I was going <laughs> to say, it, it was male gaze. <laughs> yeah. It, oh, oh, yeah, shocking. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was Oh, it was so bad. was this. How fun. <laughs> This was too. Like mm. the first scene is literally like it's fucking Bishop carrying Psylocke because she had like it was from a previous issue of like something before this, like number one of four parts, whatever. I don't know. Something was wrong with her. And yeah. so he's like carrying her like a fucking damsel. I was like, this is and she's wearing ribbons. I'm like, this is gross. I don't like it. I don't like it. Was... It was real weird when they had Psylocke show up in that Apocalypse movie a couple of years ago. And I was like, oh, so they just went for that costume. Hmm. Mm, okay. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah. Yep. Yep, yep. 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 Indeed. So. So that's me. That's me. I'm sure we're going to post pictures. I'll tell you what. I'll I commit to I commit to having us post pictures of not only Storm on the cover, but also of Psylocke being carried like a fucking damsel. So you're nice. welcome, everyone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> OK, well, I am coming at you with The Mighty Bombshells, number one from Antarctic Press, and it was published in September. Well, that sounds more of... fun. Mm. <laughs> uh oh. Uh -oh. We'll see about this. Uh oh, I interrupted you for no reason. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Roll. Yeah. So this was published in September of 93. 
Antarctic is an indie publisher. They're still around, but they really cut their teeth in the 80s, capitalizing on that Ameramanga comic genre that, you know, no one else was really doing it oh. back then. It was, you know, it was yep. like manga style that wasn't originally in Japanese. It was like, you know, created by and for an English speaking audience. Yeah. I mean, they were always kind of involved with that field of manga, but I remember them really blowing up in the 90s thanks to their Warrior Nunarela comic. And they also had like a couple of Busty Babes comics that were getting pretty big with the preteen market at that time. And so okay. according to the note of the inner front cover, this was originally published in Bandai's Japanese language magazine, Cyber Comics. And then Antarctic brought it over here to the States, but they had to run it in black and white due to low orders. Bull. They were planning to run it in color, but they were just like, we just had really low orders. And I was like, ooh, okay. I know, rups. Yeah, right. The story and art is by Yujin Ishikawa. Tones and cover colors were handled by Pat Duke. Translations were done by Doug Dlin and Kuni Kimura. And then Ben Dunn was editor-in-chief. I think he still is. I don't know. So the story starts with a fish-shaped spaceship appearing over Earth, I think. But mm, the continents don't really line up. It's kind of like a mm, maybe like it's like if you squint hard, that could be Europe. I don't know. Um, there is an alien queen on board and she reveals that she's there to find her consort. And once the wedding ceremony is complete, the planet will be hers and the history of the new empire will begin here. You know, <laughs> um, also <laughs> dun, dun, dun. she looks like a sexy version of Rita Repulsa from Power Rangers. Like, I'm just going to throw that out there. Okay. Yeah. Like you look at her and you're like, oh, I see what they're going for. All right. So. <laughs> We then cut to the New York City headquarters for the Vanguards, which is a superhero team clearly meant to be like a pastiche of the Avengers, where new member Jennifer Washington is grousing to her coworker Catherine that she joined the org but is only allowed to be on monitor duty. And then suddenly this woman who she looks again kind of like a, a knockoff of Captain Marvel shows up. Her name is Lady Pulsar. She is beat to hell and she reveals oh she captured the rest of the team and then we get a flashback where we see that the empire state building suddenly transformed into this alien structure the hero team investigated and then the alien queen just steps out and announces she is wait for it queen zebla zwaita sondam there it is <laughs> And then she immediately took mental control of all the male heroes. She had them all blast Lady Pulsar and then took off with them, basically following in her wake. So basically, the super dudes are now a threat. Zebla then chooses Captain Freedom, who is basically like a mashup of Superman and Captain America in terms of designs, as her mate. Back at the headquarters, Jennifer and Catherine figure out that women aren't affected by Zebla's mind control. And thus, they decide to assemble a group of female superheroes from around the world. Catherine puts together a list, and we get Red Dragon, a martial artist from the People's Republic of China. Remember, this is the early 90s. We get mm -hmm. <laughs> Pyrokinetic Fireball from England. Blitzkrieg comes from Germany and has... Oh, there it is. Yeah, oh, just wait. Ouch. They say elemental powers. I'm assuming they're lightning-based. And also, Blitzkrieg's logo is a singular SS lightning bolt. 
And that still oh, is no, bro. <laughs> that's still not the most offensive character design in the mix. <laughs> what? How? Oh, just wait. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah, there's also Cherry Blossom from Japan. We don't learn anything about her other than she is described as, quote, one of the top mutants in Japan. And finally, we get Dynamite Girl out of Texas, whose costume is, it's just a bodysuit with the Confederate flag printed on it. And she's got a power lifter's belt. No. Yeah, it's bad. None of that. None of that. Cherry Blossom, come on. It's not great. So we're then treated to a montage of Catherine and Jennifer teleporting all of these different heroines to Vanguard's HQ with like no warning. They're all in the middle of other stuff. And then suddenly they're just like teleported out of those activities. So they're, they're basically abducted. Like, cool. Like Dynamite Girl is in the middle of like some rodeo show or something like that. And all of a sudden she and her horse are both like just they vanish. And the announcer's like, I guess we just saw the debut of a new superpower. It's whatever. Yeah, so they're not too happy about this. They all start to grouse about their forcible abduction, and then Catherine yeah. shouts them down. Like, it, it's implied that she's like, listen up, you see words. They don't use it, so it's like, you know, it's a little bit left to the imagination, but you're like, ooh, okay, because they all get very quiet. And then she basically is like, you need to, you know, go do this. They quiet down. They then assemble on the final page and we see this new team heading out to do battle led by Jennifer in an Uncle Sam style costume and going by the moniker Miss Liberty. And prior to this, we don't really find anything out about her background or like what she can do. We just know that she's a new member of the Vanguards and that she's a teen superhero. There is one full page panel at the start of the story with her and the other bombshells. So like I just thought it was like some weird promo art or something because the bombshells aren't a team at that point. But like I, I genuinely didn't recognize it was her until I went back and reread the issue with this in mind. Like you don't see that she's wearing striped pants except for in two panels. And it's like really easy to miss unless you're looking for it. And then she also has a bulky kind of like 80s power blazer for a good portion of the rest of the story. And also the book being in black and white just kind of adds to the confusion. Yeah. So after that, we're told the bombshell adventures will continue in issue two. It's only like 16 pages. So this is clearly like, you know, it it, it was meant to be like, you know, a reprint of like something from an anthology magazine. And then we get a center spread of character bios, which actually like explain who these characters are and what their powers are. And then the rest of the book is actually a backup story showing the adventure that Cherry Blossom was caught up in the middle of when she got teleported away. Basically, it stars her her boyfriend, I think. His name is Yoichi. He is also a superhero known as, get this, Ultra Super Deluxe Golden Silver Great Special Man. Stop. (laughs) Stop. Yeah, he he That is is, uh, so many words. Yeah. So it's clearly meant to be kind of a satire of, you know, Japanese superhero character names. And we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. He gets into a battle with what's called the Techno Yakuza. Think a villainous version of Iron Man, and you've got a good idea of what he looks like. But he actually doesn't do very well in the battle because he's farsighted, so he keeps on, like, missing when he's trying to tackle the guy or, like, land a punch. It's kind of cute. Cherry Blossom shows up out of nowhere. She lays the villain out, and then we're told to check out panel three, page 13, for the next part of the story, and then turn back to here. And then we see Yoichi getting yelled at for all the damage he caused, so the final panel is him working construction to make up for it. I am genuinely not sure 
how I should feel about this book. There are. I, I was really hoping that there was actually going to be like, you were like, oh, there's a side story with Cherry Blossom. I was like, oh, good. So you get to find out more about her. Nope. She literally, she just shows up for like <laughs> two panels. That's it. She like comes streaking out of nowhere and that's it. Thank you. I hate it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, I mean, there are moments that are really kind of funny in this and the art's not bad, but it's really not helped by the lack of color. And two of the characters have extremely problematic elements to their costumes. And I mean, one of them has literal Nazi iconography in her outfit. I get that this was supposed to be satirical and it was created by someone from Japan who, who, you know, has presumably very little context at this point in time for what is and what isn't problematic in America or the West, but it really hasn't aged well. You know, it's interesting because I talked to Sarah about this because she lived in Japan for years and she was like, yeah, that's not entirely uncommon over there. And, you know, please don't interpret me as saying like, you know, Nazi chic is a big thing in Japan, but it is a thing. Like, you know, they have Wikipedia articles on this. It's an interesting artifact. You can see what it was going for. I don't think it's great viewed through a lens of today, but we are also viewing it through a lens of almost 30 years later. Yeah. I mean, there's um, that for sure. Yeah. I mean, back then, the Confederate flag, for the most part, was just kind of associated with the Dukes of Hazard. Yeah. You know, as opposed to where it is now. Yeah. Happy, happy 30-year <laughs> <laughs> birthday, Mighty Bombshells number one. Oh, I hate <laughs> it's it. It's coming up in September, babies. <laughs> oh, I hate it so much. Oh. But yeah, yeah, this was part of the comics pile that I put together with Jeff Smith from the Comic Hunter up in Canada. Mm. I'm very glad that it's part of my collection because it's an interesting thing to talk about. Oh, yeah. But I don't think I need to find another one of these. <laughs> There's a, at least one more issue out there I know of, but I'm good. I do think it's funny that our our theme was really theming tonight. Like, not only was it sexy spandex, but it was both from the 90s, like within a couple of years of each oh, other. Yeah. And then it also didn't age well, <laughs> neither of them. Mm -mm. <laughs> A surprise! It's from the 90s. Didn't age well. The 90s were a wild time. I We had so much unlearning to do. Yeah. I still have unlearning to do. I know that. There's a lot of stuff that I've gone back and watched from that era, and I'm like, oh, that... Mm, mm. Oh, I've done that thing where I, like... I had, like, just DVDs that I think my mom gave me a bunch of DVDs when she was like, "I'm we're not going to have DVDs anymore. Pick... Which, whatever you want. And I was like, oh, I remember watching these, blah, 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 right? I remember throwing one in, like, I had a date over, and, like, it didn't age well. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> it was one of those movies where I was like, I feel like I remembered it fondly the couple of times that I saw it, like, back in the day. But then I was like, oh, no. Did you ever see the movie Soap Dish? I, it sounds familiar, and I think I've seen the, the, the cover's pink, but I don't think yeah. I've ever seen it. It's like it's Sally Field, it's Kevin Klein, it's Whoopi Goldberg, okay. it's Elizabeth Shue, it's Robert Downey Jr. Like I probably have seen it and I'm just not remembering. It is hysterically funny about the people that are involved in making a soap opera. Like it's the cast and the crew. Oh. Like all the backroom politics that go on. Genuinely We've funny. We talked about this before too. Yeah, until like the last, the, the final twist is that the villain is trans and you're like, oh, 
oh okay and 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 then they use it to like you know and that's the whole thing where it like it humiliates her and it like demonizes her and you're like oh that doesn't hold up at all Mm -hmm. Uh oh we're attacking someone's identity now (laughs) yeah and it's one of those things where i remember watching it a couple of years ago and I, you know, like I kind of had vague memories of it. I thought I was like, oh, this is really good. Fuck, this is really funny. Why don't I own this? And then I got to that scene. And I'm like, that's why. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Indeed. So, well, that's yeah. fun. On that highlight of a note, I think it's uh, time for us to sign off for the evening. What do you say? A womp womp. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. We will be back with another Dollar Bin Discovery in two weeks. Uh, Next week, I don't know what we're going to be talking about because we're recording these so far in advance that it's like one to two months (laughs) ahead of time. So who knows? But until then, stay safe and we will see you in the stacks. Thanks for listening to Tencent Takes. Accessibility is important to us, so text transcriptions of each of our published episodes can be found on our website. This episode was hosted by Jessica Frazier and Mike Thompson, written by Mike Thompson and edited by Jessica Frazier. Our intro theme was written and performed by Jared Emerson Johnson of Bay Area Sound, and our credits and transition music is Pursuit of Life by Evan McDonald, and was purchased with a standard license from Premium Beat. Our banner graphics were designed by Sarah Frank, who you can find at lookmomdraws.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, ask us questions, or tell us about how we got something wrong, please head over to tencenttakes.com or shoot an email to tencenttakes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter. For now, the official podcast account is Tencent Takes. Jessica is Jessica Witha, and Mike is Van Sau, V-A-N-S-A-U. We're also on Hive, Mastodon, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. The complete list is in the show notes. If you'd like to support us, be sure to download, rate, and review wherever you listen. Stay safe out there. And support your local comic shop.